and all kinds of stuff. Just data, 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 everywhere, data. Welcome to the 13th episode of All of the Above, a weekly podcast about design, code, and learning. Each week, an instructional designer, a user experience designer, and a software engineer take apart the world one topic at a time. My name is Brian Brush, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Sam Bantner. Hello, world. And Sean Duran. Hi. How have you guys been? I'm freezing. It is uh, incredibly cold in the state of Ohio today, but at least we're not under a uh, metric ton of snow like boston is oh yeah no i would hate to live there right now i wouldn't mind you wouldn't mind no i'd love to live there right now all this snow snow is so much fun see i do like snow i i don't like being substantially late to everything (laughs) so i think the whole boston situation would drive me nuts i i assume they're better drivers in boston when it comes to snow have you seen how much snow they have though yeah like i don't even think it's like a matter of can you get on the road or not it's yeah like can you walk there (laughs) like is there a path it's can you get out the front door (laughs) exactly a uh comrade of the show laura that we all know who lives in boston she i think tweeted the other day how the bus just drove right by her i think because it couldn't see her behind the piles of snow at the bus stop and it took the bus an hour to get there anyways (laughs) it just sounds like a miserable existence it does probably just walked to work at that point i I think that's why she was so bitter is because she could have walked faster (laughs) just have work come to you yep work from home that's the wave of the future especially if you have uh something like cloud services to help you do that nice yeah All that snow, all those clouds. Which the reason we're referencing clouds now is that uh, this week's (laughs) discussion is centered around cloud services. And so if you guys are ready, we can go ahead and have Sean kick us off with a discussion about what exactly the cloud is. I'm ready. You ready? Ready. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Well... The big question that I'll be just going after is what exactly is the cloud? Because it can take on many shapes and forms. It could be a dumping grounds. It could be how things sync. It could be just where data is from like websites. It can be virtualization machines. It could be a lot of things. There's lots of umbrellas uh, that this cloud encompasses. Just wondering, like, how do your maybe parents, friends that aren't as technologically inclined interpret like what the cloud is? I know for like, and not even just necessarily like folks who are older or parents or things, but even coworkers that are my own age frequently try to ask me to explain the cloud to them. And because it's so wide ranging and diverse and just this insane myriad of things um, that it's incredibly difficult to pinpoint and explain, but all of them know that it does something to make their lives easier and that it somehow saves their stuff. That's pretty much all they can ever say about it, which leads to a lot of confusion because they think like, oh, everything's backed up or all of my stuff is safe. And that's not always the case uh sadness yeah but sam like do you run into this frequently especially being a software engineer where people probably ask you this question uh i try to avoid people that don't understand technology <laughs> because it really it turns into like i get i get text all day specifically from one of our mutual friends about tech support and I'm fine giving tech support. I actually love it. I love talking to people. But I get these things all day that I just try to avoid them when I can. So I try not to talk to anybody about this kind of stuff. But talking with my peers, like people I work with, other software engineers, they they talk about the cloud from the 
technical hopefully standpoint and i hate that too because i like the cloud just to be the cloud and not have to worry about technically what goes behind it because i know what goes behind it they know what goes behind it why do we have to talk about it and why can't we just make it simple and i don't know the cloud is the cloud's a weird topic that I don't, it's weird. Is it that, I don't know, I feel like that's part of the problem with the cloud is that we've tried to make it super simple, and now that's part of what's confusing everyone because it's such a broad, diverse thing that it isn't actually simple, and us oversimplifying it and giving it this cutesy name of cloud (laughs) has maybe just made people completely misunderstand what it is and come up with some false expectations about what it does. Or about the security of things. So like, Sean, I saw that you had a question about who owns the data when it comes to the cloud. And that's a pretty confusing point to a lot of people and results in a lot of difficult to answer questions about data security and privacy and things like that. Oh, yeah. Things such as like Facebook or Twitter or Gmail even. They have the stuff just on their servers. And if you want to do anything like YouTube, for example, it's a it's using the cloud to store all the stuff so you can view it. But they released that video advertisement uh, stipulation, and there's like contracts for musicians now. It's your stuff, but they have a lot of control over it. And then some instances, like they actually own the data, mm-hmm. and you just get to uh, use it. And it's it's a confusing concept, especially if you have like photos on Facebook and you delete it. Yes, it's deleted somewhat, but it's still like there's probably a backup or two or three where that photo or video still lives. And it's hard or damn near impossible for you to understand that, like, or not understand, like have a a view into what's happening behind the curtain, which is frustrating. Yeah. And that's where you get all of these like crazy end user license agreements about using cloud services that essentially say, for the most part, we can control and own your stuff forever and you're just going to have to deal with it even if you tell it to go away. Like, we'll make it go away from being visible, but it's still probably stored somewhere. And that's something a lot of people I don't think understand about what exactly the cloud is. And then the other confusing things with the cloud is that we refer to it as this singular entity, but it's actually a wide variety of things Mm -hmm. um, because it's really just servers somewhere else that we're tapping into and those servers could be owned by a variety of people. And then within that, those servers, you have a variety of different platforms that are connecting to them. So I also saw that you had another sort of thought about like fragmentation of all of these different platforms. Yeah. Well, before even like the fragmentation of that, it's well breaking down what the cloud is or the different parts of that. So I remember when I was teaching workshops, just trying to explain what iCloud was to people that, which good for them, they signed up to learn more about what is iCloud, what does it do, which is great, but it's a it's a big learning curve if you don't have any like basis of what's happening. So like iCloud, for example, it it does syncing, which is like if you add one contact, one place, uh, it goes to all your other devices. So if you put it on your iPhone, it's on your iPad. Um, but something like that, if you delete a contact, it deletes it from everywhere. And I've had that uh, tried troubleshooting people's problems. It's like, oh, you deleted it? and You don't have a backup? Uh, <laughs> that contact's gone. I'm sorry. Um, and then there's backup, which is almost a carbon copy of your device. Backs it up so you can get it later, except for the desktop because, you know, that's just too much. And then there's the streaming aspect, which is the most confusing part, at least with iCloud. Uh, I know like Google Drive, OneDrive... Dropbox, they they don't ha- do any of the streaming aspect, but it's uh, the photo stream where it takes like the last thousand photos that you've taken 
or put on at least your devices, and then it shows up on all your other devices. And if you delete a photo from the photo stream, not the actual device itself, it deletes it from everywhere except for the desktop. Sometimes I, I actually don't know <laughs> how this works 100% of the time because the desktop is like a, it takes all the photos and then it has it. And I know photo management is a I think you can spend like five ten hours just trying to figure out how to do photo management for everything. Um, yeah, or if you're uh, the connected podcast, that's all you ever talk about. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I'm not I'm just going to avoid that. <laughs> um, I guess like the fourth aspect now is like a the iCloud Drive, which is like Dropbox or OneDrive, where you have one folder and then you can put things there and then you can access it anywhere. But then they're like they're, those are like more of the consumer facing aspects, and for a user to know all this and be aware of all the lingo, it just it seems like jargon that they shouldn't have to worry about. Yeah, and it it can also create confusion where, especially with those that are new to the whole concept of cloud services, where they're maybe deleting something off of their computer because they're like, oh, I have that on my phone. I don't need it on my computer. So they hit delete, not realizing that it's going to happen everywhere. And that's because it it doesn't very clearly communicate to you what's going to happen. And I know like we often reference Apple devices and that's what we primarily use. And it prompts you with like a little tiny warning, like, hey, this will delete from everything all over the place. But I don't think people really understand exactly what that little tiny warning is really telling them. Because it's not like, hey, you seriously need to reconsider this decision. Um, It's just like a polite little, okay, are you sure you want to do this? So it's incredibly, I think, confusing how it's been communicated. And I don't know how you would necessarily design it to be any more clear either. Um, Like Apple's approach is the whole it just works mentality where everything just magically shows up on all of your devices and you shouldn't have to think about the process. Um, But that lack of being familiar with what's going on can also result in users making sort of poor decisions and making errors or mistakes that they don't realize the consequences of. It went up! It went up to the cloud! And you can't get it down from the cloud? Nobody understands the cloud. It's a yeah, well, I think I feel like the problem might be that you have two states. It could be in either the cloud or like locally on the device. And sometimes you have to know where it is. And if everything was in the cloud, cool. It eliminates like, oh, I, th- I think that's in Dropbox. No, it's on my desktop. It, I can't get to it unless I remote in. Or if everything's in the cloud, it could like save versions of it. I know with Dropbox, if you delete something, you can go back and be like, oh, no. It has a, like a history of like 30 or 90 days. I think they have like a thing called like Rat Pack. Pat Rack? Pat Rack? Rat Pack? Pat Rack? <laughs> Pat Rack, not the Rat Pack. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, it's Frank Sinatra joining us. Yeah, I mean, I said that, and then it sounded right, but I knew it wasn't right, because it, it, that's not how that works. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if everything was in the cloud, it would sort of solve that gap, but not everything is. So you have to live between two worlds. And then if you have multiple services, then it's like, oh, is it in OneDrive? Is it in Box or Dropbox? It, yeah. And then with security, I know some files just like you have to have HIPAA compliance. It just can't be in the cloud. It has to be like locked down in HIPAA certified servers that only certain people can access. So if you accidentally put things up there, which you can totally do, just you would then be legally screwed. And it would just be based on your lack of knowledge of how it all works. 
Yeah. And the other thing is, as people do start to get familiar with and comfortable with cloud services, um, they start to want to use them in more places, which is where like, I know so many people in the field of medicine who desperately want to use and apply cloud services, but they can't use them in the way that they want because of those various rules like HIPAA compliance and things like that. But I was going to say to your point earlier about how you, it's difficult sometimes to tell when something's stored locally versus in the cloud. Um, I know that's something that Dropbox does really well where they have this little like green check box to let you know like hey this is available in the cloud now and then they have like a different i might just be a red x i think to indicate like this has not been uploaded to the cloud so it's only stored locally at the moment Um, and so those small visual cues help as long as you're aware of what they're trying to communicate to you oh yeah because with the iCloud drive there's no visual feedback whatsoever there's sometimes like that gray bar that shows that it's loading or like uploading or downloading but if you never see that then you're just yeah because it shows so briefly and it only shows when it's actively syncing so it doesn't like if you just drop it into the folder it doesn't immediately bring that up to indicate like hey we're going to eventually sync this and there's no progress thus far it just waits until it's ready to sync, and then it gives you that indication, and it may only be there for a second, depending on how large the file is. Yeah, and if you close your laptop lid before everything is synced over, then you're just sort of screwed. <laughs> you have half a file, and it's not completely downloaded. You hop on a plane, you don't have Wi-Fi, and then you're like, oh, cool, I thought I had it, but... Guess I don't. Yeah, that also actually makes me think too. Another challenging point with cloud services is initially when they started, everybody was producing stuff locally, then submitting it to the cloud and having it download to their other devices. And then there's like two versions. And- oh yeah, and you'll run into like, well, version one didn't sync properly, so now I've got this like jacked up version <laughs> number two, and I don't know which one I'm supposed to use. But you'll also have now where Microsoft Office in the cloud, Adobe's got all of their services in the cloud, iCloud is now available even to people who don't own Apple devices, they've now opened it up in sort of a beta form online. So now you can create things in the cloud that aren't stored locally anywhere. And that can also become incredibly confusing because before you were you had your one sequence, which was local cloud, local on other devices. Now it may be cloud and you're unsure if it's actually downloaded to any of your devices. <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's essentially what we're getting to is it's a hot mess and it's very difficult to communicate. Yeah, I wish I could uh like if I had just had to start my digital life over, dude, I would just put everything up there. Well, and then you you have to just leave it to trust once it's up there too that it's going to stay there, that the service <laughs> that you've invested everything into isn't just going to poof out of existence and shut its doors. Or someone just uh finds your password and hacks into it and then <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, that happened to my Twitter account once. Someone hacked into it and changed it, and it became their Twitter account. They even changed the handle and everything. I got a hold of Twitter. I was like, hey, my Twitter account was hacked. And they were like, oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, that, which I'm surprised you were able to get it back, because I know there are people... Oh, I didn't get it back. <laughs> oh, you had to get a different one. Yeah, I just okay. started a new Twitter account. Because <laughs> I was going to say, like, there were some guy who... I'll have to see if I can find the article for the show notes, um, which... Oh, Matt Honan, I think. Yeah, the guy who just had M as his Twitter handle, and then somebody hacked it and stole it. That's a different guy, yeah. Okay, because they just had the letter M, somebody else wanted it, so they hacked into it and then 
tried to essentially force him to pay to get his own Twitter account back. And Twitter wouldn't help him initially. And eventually, after the internet went ablaze in rage, um, Twitter helped him get access back to his account. But that's also a whole other tricky part of the cloud is if you do establish your life into this digital format, if somebody accesses that and then kicks you out of it, now somebody has access to everything that communicates you and tells your life story. And that's also a challenging aspect to at least the social aspect aspects of the cloud. But since we did mention uh, our show notes, we can go ahead and say where those are at. So if you head over to alloftheabove.audio slash episodes slash 013, you'll be able to see our show notes and get links to all of the uh, crazy things that we're talking about today and probably some other random stuff as Sean's ability to produce show notes is, I think, unparalleled. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> <laughs> But now that we have sort of a introduction to the cloud established and we've pointed out how crazy it is, Sam, did you want to talk about one of the services that is uh, cloud-based? Nah, not really. All right, well, <laughs> guess show's over. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about IFTTT. What does that mean? <laughs> it means if this, then that, or... If, if, or they recently changed their apps today to if and do, and they added several do's. So things are just going to get even more confusing <laughs> for people who already don't understand what this is. Can you say that they they do, dude? <laughs> <laughs> we are children. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. So really, uh, if this and that, it's just a way to create chains of conditional statements, which they like to call recipes, but they're not really recipes since that's the only thing that they reference to cooking. Everything else is just really weird. So you're creating a statement. So if this happens, then do this and this or that. And it kind of just goes from there. So that's a conditional statement, an if else statement. Uh, one of many different types of conditionals. I was just going to ask, uh, do you have like a, an actual example? Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> this one's really funny. If I text this phone number, then I get a fake phone call that says what I tell it to say. I can't actually remember what I made it say to me. Oh, I have that too. I have it so I can uh, get out of situations. Why has nobody told me about this as the huge introvert? Yeah, this is great. It says, I am now calling you as requested. <laughs> You can now ditch that annoying friend, get out of that boring meeting, or just feel super important. I, I also have texting. I, I do a lot of texting, I guess. Texting a hashtag that turns on uh, my Philips Hues in my house. Depending on what I text to it, it will turn on different portions of my house, which a Philips Hue is a light that has many different colors that can be automated. Which kind of leads me into everything else is if this and that is just tied into everything. So even things that aren't really the cloud, it kind of makes them the cloud. They have a list of many channels. It's what they call them. But there are things on there like uh, 500px, which is a photo website or BuzzFeed or eBay or Feedly. They have Fiverr, which is an awesome website to buy things for $5. They're tied in with pretty much any device that you have, like a Fitbit or a Philips Hue or your iOS device or your Android device. 
pretty much everything is in here that you would ever really use. All the social media, everything. So what you do is you just say, well, if this occurs, then do that. And the possibilities from that point are pretty much endless. And all these things that weren't really normally cloud services have now become a cloud service because you're sending this statement, this conditional statement, if this condition happens locally or somewhere else, if weather happens in the world, then your lights can change colors or you can get a text message. And this is all stuff happening that you have no control over, but you like the results because that's what you asked for. So it's kind of the cloud of crazy things. <laughs> yes, we're, which right now we're trying to avoid a phrase that this group cringes at, which I'm going to say and try not to get sick to my stomach, which is the internet of things, which I think I now prefer Sam's version, which is cloud of crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Cloud of crazy things. Let's see if we can't get Intel to pick that up or Samsung. They're the ones who are really pushing the internet of things. IOT. Oh, <sighs> just, no, uh, don't Sean. Yeah, but this is just one example of what the cloud can do. I mean, it integrates all these platforms together. Things that normally wouldn't be together are now together. Do we really need the internet in everything? I don't think we really need the internet in everything. Like, whoever came up with the cup that measures how much liquid is in it, really, like, do we need that? Is that necessary? But it's also tied to the internet, so we can analyze everything about whatever's in this cup that just doesn't really does it really make life easier uh sometimes i i think that's the other confusing thing with oh man i'm just gonna keep saying thing over and over again but it's the other confusing aspect to uh the whole cloud of crazy things is that everyone's trying to connect in some way and it may be beneficial for some people in some instances. And it's really coming down to identifying these crazy niche uses for people and producing a product for that and hoping you can sell enough of that to make it valuable. So like the cup that you were just mentioning, maybe that will actually be helpful to a lot of people, but maybe it's only helpful really to five people. And I guess the question more for me with the cloud of crazy things is whether we are just trying to force this whole connection into everything or if we're really spending the time thinking about where we should best apply our resources and sort of create something that's beneficial for a larger group and then narrow our way down. So right now everyone's just making stuff for everything. I mean, there are toothbrushes that connect to the internet now. I, uh, <laughs> I actually just got one of those. <laughs> man yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, i mean um i got it because it's called beam i think beam brush and they're from columbus yeah and i was like ah, i'll try it i'm i mean it brushes my teeth so i guess that that checks that box off like it does it for you <laughs> I, I wish. See, that's what we need to focus our resources on is not making everything connected to the internet, but having robot butlers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of like the brush just like uh, <laughs> Fantasia style coming up to my mouth and like dun, 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 just <laughs> brushing my teeth. And then Mickey's like, oh, that's great. And then until it like it keeps brushing to the point where like my teeth are getting like grinded down and I, I have no control. And that's where like Mickey's like drowning in the water. Wow. You had yeah. all of that visual. <laughs> I know. That's why I couldn't talk for a couple seconds. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, the Beam Toothbrush, it has an app, and it's just the whole experience is, it isn't what you would naturally do. Like, you, you brush your teeth, cool. You turn it on, it's electric. It's electric! Woogie, woogie, woogie. And then you're supposed to, like, have your phone out and then on, and then it keeps track of how much time you spend brushing your teeth. And then once you get to two minutes, for one second, it shows like, hey, Star, you brush for two sec- two minutes. And then it goes right back to the timer. And it just tells you if you brushed in the morning and night, and that's it. I don't know what else I'm going to do with this stuff. But that is one of the things that confuses me or frustrates me most about this whole Internet of Things concept is that everyone in their effort to create something that ties in with this, they aren't like taking the idea to its fullest point. They're just sort of coming up with a concept and then quickly releasing it to be first to market, which does is not a good thing. Like if you just get something out there, it doesn't have benefit and you clearly haven't spent the time creating a healthy design or finding a way to produce something that's going to actually benefit people. And as a result, you either get where you have something that from the sounds of it, the benefit maybe is just keeping track of things, which could be helpful. I guess like if you have a child who's not brushing their teeth and you're trying to get them in the habit, you as the parent could see like a record that they've been doing that. But once we're an adult, like that is something that's habitually ingrained in us. We don't like need to, like, I'm aware of how long I've been brushing my teeth and that I've done it in the morning and at night. Like I don't (laughs) need something to tell me that. Yeah. And also the, just the fact that like I'm brushing my teeth with one hand and then I have my phone out with the other, or I can lay it down by the sink, but then it could fall into the sink accidentally fall into the toilet. I just don't, I don't understand like what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) Like we, is that how I'm supposed to use it? Or Am I supposed to look at it afterwards? But even then, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know I brush my teeth in the morning and the night. And then, I, yeah, the only thing I can think of is, like, if I see my children do it. But even then, they could just turn on the toothbrush for two minutes and then turn it off. Yeah, I don't know. And then that cup that has the that could analyze the stuff is called Vessel. V-E-S-S-Y-L, which is, uh, it looks cool, but it's, like, 100 bucks or 200 bucks. We could always do the eye kettle, which is an electric teapot. It's $170. Maybe that sells really well in Britain. I don't, I, I have no interest. I just don't get why everything has to be connected to the internet. And maybe everything should. It's just, I need whatever the product is to clearly communicate the need for that. And I feel like a lot of the advertising pitch is just like, it connects to the internet and you can keep track of stuff. And that's not valuable to me. Yeah. Well, on that note, yeah. I have no transition. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. my So my topic is like very difficult to transition into from what we've been talking about, but I was going to talk sort of about the incre- increased reliance on third parties, um, particularly within education, since that's sort of my bubble that I always look at. But um, as we're investing in all of these cloud services, we're more and more essentially turning over pieces of our lives and pieces of our data and information to third parties and expecting them to be trustworthy and reliable to hold on to that, keep it secure, and make sure that it's available to us at all times. So for example, in the world of education, we may be looking at adapting and growing to the new technologies today. And to start doing that, we might rely more heavily on these cloud services. As we've discussed, um, I think it was an episode 
episode eight, like libraries are digitizing a great deal of their material. Meanwhile, many classes and lectures are starting to go online and even administrative work for educational organizations is being performed in the cloud through like online collaboration tools and intranet services and all of these various things. And so that in turn means that educational organizations are having to rely more and more on third parties to accomplish their work, store their documents and materials, and even have class at all, which is the whole point of the educational organization. So I'm curious what you guys feel the advantages and disadvantages of this increased reliance on cloud services is. Um, And I'm asking it more centered around educational organizations, but I'm open to hearing your guys' thoughts about this increased reliance and just the whole spectrum, not necessarily just for education. I think in the education space, it's great to have these third-party services and everything and kind of rely on the cloud because uh, it gives us insights. And yeah, it's kind of data. We're kind of mining data, but we can gather insights on people and what they're learning and how they're learning it and all kinds of stuff. Just data, 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 everywhere, data that we can kind of just get these insights and find out exactly what we want from the things they're putting in here. We can just pull out things. Yeah, which is one advantage that I hadn't even really thought of, especially thinking to a lot of uh, learning management systems, so Ugh. educational platforms, yeah, which I, Sean and Sam both know how much I hate learning management systems or LMSs as the shorthand goes because none of them are done well. Are any of them done at all? That's actually why they're not done well. (laughs) The advantage or one of those relating to it's that whole first to market question is that say a tool like Blackboard, you can actually check and make sure have students been reading the discussion posts and how much time are they actually spending in the online learning environment versus outside of it. Um, So if they're only in there for two minutes at a time just to upload the assignment that's due, are they really taking advantage of the class and are they truly participating in the class? Um, So that sort of data is only accessible through uh, these online platforms. And sure, you could take attendance in a physical environment where somebody goes to a lecture hall and attends, but can you actually monitor how much time they're attentive to that material um, and what sort of content they've been actively going to and looking at, which you can see by page clicks and time spent on certain pages within a tool like Blackboard. So that is an advantage that I hadn't thought so much of. But Sean, what are your thoughts on advantages or disadvantages of this increased reliance on these third parties? Well, it makes the like universities, if you're just to take them as an example, beholden to like these third-party companies and any kind of new features or new updates, they just have to rely on whoever makes Blackboard. And if they have a specific need, I don't know how easily it is for them to implement that new feature or how easy it is for them to customize things based on the actual needs of the students at their college specifically. I don't know much about uh, the Blackboard platform other than I've used it. I mean, I've been forced to use it, (laughs) (laughs) but this was years ago. I just remember it just the whole thing sort of stinking. Things loaded sometimes, things didn't load. Yeah, it was confusing as to how to navigate through the site. Um, it was skinned with the college in mind, but it, it didn't... It's like they're trying to cram one designer's idea of how things should go into another designer's idea of how things should go. You may have a entire consistent web platform, like a university website, which is consistent through and through, although I, that's pretty rare to find because university websites are a mess too. <laughs> but, but say you actually had a good web development team at a university who made 
an incredibly consistent website. And then you log in as a student onto your online class or a Blackboard online environment that is simultaneously interacts with a physical classroom that you would go to from time to time. And you log into that and now everything is laid out in a different manner and you can tell that they're trying to design and orient it around what the school had in mind, but it's not fully realized in that regard. And so that inconsistency can also be really problematic. And when you're relying on the third party service, you can't always change or alter that. So that is just a design conflict in general. And then you also may have issues with the instructional designer seeing one vision or one way of presenting the information, and then they have to cancel or alter those plans in their design because it doesn't necessarily become compatible with the LMS or the online tool or third-party service that they're using. But did you guys have any other sort of advantages or disadvantages that you could think of to this these third-party services being used more heavily within education? More focus on education. Let's make smart people. We'll make them. <laughs> Focusing on education, these third-party platforms really make a push for it. Google does a really good job. Uh, they really push for education and they try and wrap it around a lot of different things that they do, but it kind of gives people awareness of education in general and makes people want to get more educated. So just promotion of education is good for these th third party platforms kind of taking over. Yeah, which is an interesting point that maybe if they market to or start designing to them more, they'll see increased, not only just use but interest in them and maybe that would help reduce some of the barrier to entry for people wanting to use or take online classes and things like that of course there's i'm looking at this graph i've got a few like various research papers on the use of cloud services and education in front of me and one of them has a sort of pie chart that's breaking down um, some research from 2009 so it's a little bit old now but the percentages for cloud usage in different industrial sectors and services and it's pretty evenly split amongst all the different sectors out there. So schools and education services take up about 4% of the cloud usage um, in the overall cloud industry. The largest ones are like financial services, business and management, manufacturing, and those sorts of things, but they're only sitting at 12 and 10%. So it's not that much more. So maybe if they did just start to swing heavy towards one particular sector, they might see increased usage and interest. Um, and then we could start eliminating some of those problems in design uh, that we're seeing. But I know one of the uh, sort of other advantages that I was thinking too is that it's actually a lot more cost effective for them to switch to these third-party platforms, um, as of right now at least. And that means that they can spend less time devoting manpower to storing, organizing, distributing their information or their materials, which means they can then turn the funds normally spent on that process to other things. So to paying faculty better or to bringing on more faculty so that they can better balance the online environment with the physical classroom environment as well, um, reducing the student to teacher ratio and all of these other things that typically result in a better education. But there's also the disadvantage in that same regard that they're leaving themselves at the mercy of these third parties. And if the systems go offline, crucial documents and tools become inaccessible. Or if the classes are hosted online, they could be completely lost or students can't get to them and aren't able to complete work or learn in the time frame that they were expected to. And if these cloud services start to increase their prices and the schools invested heavily into that platform, now they're sort of stuck and they have to either decide, do we 
take on the financial burden of the increased price or do we take on the financial burden of leaving this platform and attempting to implement another one or develop one. So it's a big challenge and it'll be interesting to see how it sort of all plays out over time. But there's there's a lot of positives to this and hopefully as we continue to invest more and more in the cloud as a culture, we'll maybe see us start to resolve some of these design dilemmas that we're running into. I know that uh, Google is uh, making like inroads with like Chromebooks, mm-hmm. which is pretty much everything is stored on Google servers as nothing really is living on the Chromebook itself. Yeah. And the benefit with like an additional benefit to those is the Chromebooks are also incredibly cheap to purchase. Um, So schools, especially in areas where uh, they may not be as affluent, the schools are able to buy equipment and use these cloud technologies to more cost effectively distributes uh, information and documents and teach their students. And have the IT guys not really have to worry about servers and infrastructure, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Even reduce like the number of IT staff that you would need to have on hand to maintain all of that, because um, it would just start to become more asset management rather than actually like information technology management. So it's interesting to see how this is all playing out. I know there's also at least within the U.S., federal government pushing to see increased technology usage within the schools. Um, Barack Obama had proposed a program which was implemented, and that's part of where a lot of schools are investing in these Chromebooks or in iPads and various tools to do a lot of work online and rely on these cloud services some more and see how they can be beneficial. So it's something that we'll have to see how it plays out over time, but those were the main sort of points that I wanted to say on this. Did you guys have any final thoughts on uh, education and cloud services? I know with my my little brother, he has to use those Chromebooks and just like wheel them out in the cart and then he completely hates them. <laughs> and he's like, I, I can't do anything. The trackpad is just, I, I can't click things. And sometimes I have to click things 10 times. The keyboard sometimes doesn't work depending on who used it last because... You know, 12-year-old kids are not the most careful with anything. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's also like a big challenge is while these systems are often more cost-effective because they like it only costs $100 or $200 to buy this Chromebook. And that's for the most part because they don't need to put like large hard drives or large uh, solid state drives into them. They don't need crazy processors to browse the web. Yeah. Um, So they can do a lot for very cheap components. But at the same time, people keep trying to make them even more cost effective and might be putting in really crappy keyboards that end up becoming unresponsive or trackpads that are all jacked up. It's a little bit of you have to find the balance in designing those. Especially because he's he's just used to his iPad and he he loves that thing. And when he goes to use a Chromebook, he's like, ah, it's just it's a computer, but it's like it's slower <laughs> than my iPad and it's just clunky. It's just not what he's accustomed to. Yeah, that's another challenge with these cloud services and platforms is as people buy into certain ecosystems and certain um, ways of interacting with the cloud, if they switch or leave away from that and they're often required to because it might be a job or a new school district or something that has a different tool, then all of a sudden what they were familiar with is now completely different and they have to learn a whole new approach and way of interacting with it. And it can be, I think, a little bit more frustrating with cloud services than in general having to switch like computers and things like that. Because with cloud services, when you're switching those, there are so many 
various options out there. And I feel like the options for cloud services are much more broad and diverse than what you would run into with just ecosystems and like operating systems. So I think it gets a little more crazy in terms of having to constantly adjust and learn new things. Yes. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, any other uh, final thoughts on cloud services? No. All right. Sam? Uh, I have a final thought. Oh. Always, always a final thought. But it's less on cloud services and more on episode 12 with Scott Reinhart, who uh, he, he was the first person to ever send us fan art. And it was fan art of us as different lanterns. Sean was a green lantern of, uh, and green is for willpower. So Sean has a lot of willpower. Choo choo. Brian was a blue lantern, which is hope, which is actually really great for Brian because uh, blue lanterns have no offensive capability. Oh. They rely they <laughs> they rely on green lanterns uh, to. I didn't know that. That makes me so happy as a pacifist. Yeah, I was really happy when I when we got the. Uh, drawings as well because it was just it, it made me so happy mine is kind of weird um uh the orange lantern uh which is greed, greed extreme greed yeah and uh the great thing about the orange lantern corpse is there's only one there's only one orange lantern agent orange so yeah there's there's only one so i am probably someone that he killed in the past because he could bring people back and make them work for him as his minions. So that's what I'm going with there. Yeah. Although I, one of the reasons that I'm a fan of uh, the whole like agent orange and that storyline is that uh, Superman, which is my favorite series at one point, agent orange does, if I remember correctly, give up his ring to Lex Luthor very temporarily, which never happens because of that extreme greed. So I like that little crossover that happens there, but yeah, which I guess goes to show the world that uh, you can get anything you want <laughs> if you're uh, incredibly rich, as Lex Luthor was. Money buys everything, people, and and intelligent, of course. But all right, cool. I uh, I have another thing. Yeah, completely unrelated. <laughs> I I just got an email from Soylent. I'm now getting it. <laughs> I think it's been seven months since I ordered it, but now they have it in stock. So what? And we talked about that on a previous episode, right? I, th- I think so. Maybe not. I think it might have been one of those episodes we didn't release. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Sean, you can finally free your body. Yes. I will not have to worry about making food. I will just have food. So we'll have to uh, include some links to that in our uh, show notes as well, so everyone can check out what Soylent is. And one of these days we may uh, release an episode on food, in which case we can talk about that some more probably. Okay, cool. And that was lucky episode 13 of All of the Above. To go more in depth with everything we talked about, head over to alloftheabove.audio slash episodes slash 013 for valuable show notes and links. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, head over to alloftheabove.audio slash contact for all the ways you can get a hold of us. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took the time to rate and review our show in iTunes. Or if you could just tell one friend about the show, it would mean the world to us. Join us next Tuesday for episode 14, where we shed a light on email. So until next week, keep fighting Skynet.